We're podcasting from the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services. I'm Public Affairs Officer Taylor Henry. And today I'm talking to Father Christopher Armstrong, the Judicial Vicar here at the AMS. Father Armstrong, welcome. Thank you, Taylor. And I appreciate you stopping in and taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you have a lot of cases on your desk and thank you for uh, coming down and spending twenty minutes with me on the phone on the uh, on the podcast today. Certainly. Uh, before we get into the uh, uh, you know the the tribunal and uh, what you do as the ju- judicial as the judicial vicar here, tell me just a little bit about your uh, vocation. Uh, where are you from originally? What is your home diocese? And how in the world did you end up here at the AMS? Uh, originally, I was uh, born in Kettering, Ohio, and that's in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And I have always wanted to be a priest, so I entered the seminary at 18 and did my college seminary in Cincinnati, and I studied five years in Rome at the Pontifical Gregorian University. And after that, um, I taught high school for nine years, and then I came here to Washington to study at Catholic University of America to get a license in canon law. I went back home and was administrative assistant to the Archbishop of Cincinnati, Archbishop Polarczyk. Then I was sent back to get a doctorate in canon law. And then for seven years, I was the chancellor of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And uh, then I became a pastor for 11 years. And in between, I was teaching canon law for about 20 years at our seminary. And how I came here to the Archdiocese for the Military Services is that Archbishop Brolio uh, called me up and asked me if I would take the job, and my Archbishop gave me permission to do so. So I have made a five-year commitment to uh, be the judicial vicar here. Uh, and when I when I first introduced you, I should have said uh, Father Christopher Armstrong, JCD. JCD is the... Uh, uh, the the letters the alphabet soup to refer to a canon lawyer. That's right. And um, so, uh, tell me a little bit about canon law and what is canon law? Canon law is the law that governs the life of the Catholic Church. It's really the right ordering of relationships. Uh, in particular, uh, one of my professors said that it's really a guidebook for a diocesan bishop on how to run his diocese. It's, it identifies people as competent authorities, what are they able to do, and it sets forth both definitions, you might say, about what something is, and it also spells out how you go about achieving a particular end. So this is basically, basically the law of the church. That's correct. Based, I suppose, on the catechism. Well, the law of the church uh, derives from divine law, revelation, but it also is based on human reason. And there is a distinction between divine law and ecclesiastical law. So it's divine law that we keep holy the Sabbath. It is ecclesiastical law that um, you can fulfill your obligation to go to Mass on Sunday anywhere, at any time of the day. So uh, what kinds of cases do you handle day in and day out? Uh, I know probably the thing we hear most about is annulments. Um, 
but I'm sure there are other types of cases you handle as well. So g- g- give us the survey, the the uh, the overview of, of the mm-hmm. kinds of cases that you handle day in and day out. Uh, principally, the Tribunal for the Archdiocese for the Military Services is responsible both for prenuptial needs of our subjects as well as overseeing the different kinds of annulments. So the prenuptial needs is that typically we have subjects and that's a canon law term to describe the people who belong to the Archdiocese for the military services. It's less complicated to use a subject than you know, to explain who belongs to us and who doesn't. But with our subjects, they may be getting married in a civilian diocese, so we collect all of the necessary paperwork um, for uh, questionnaires, baptismal certificates, um, a permission for mixed religion or a dispensation from disparity of cult, that's when somebody, a Catholic, marries a non-baptized person, and assemble all of that, and then we send it to the proper diocese, which then in turn sends it to the parish. Um, The other thing that we spend most of our time doing is working on what we call formal case annulments. If you were to go to the website for the Archdiocese for the Military Services, you would see forms and you'd click on forms and then you'd click on tribunal and when you click on tribunal the first thing you see is formal case preliminary information form and that is the initial introduction that the tribunal has to a petitioner who would be seeking a declaration of nullity but there are also other kinds of declarations of nullity which we call documentary cases and they have very specific requirements a Pauline privilege is when a non-baptized person seeks uh, to become a Catholic and the other spouse, non-baptized, is causing difficulties. It's a little more complicated than that. We also have cases called prior bond, which is somebody who's been married to someone else who's been married to someone else. And then finally, we have declarations of nullity due to a lack of canonical form because Baptized Catholics are bound by the canonical form, which is to marry before a priest or deacon and two witnesses, according to the ritual act of matrimony of the Catholic Church. Sounds like a lot of details. Yes, uh, it is. There's a lot of paperwork that is involved with this because of the procedures that are govern how a tribunal is to operate in general and specifically for annulment trials, which we call formal cases. And at each step of the way, both the petitioner, the respondent, that's the person answering the petitioner, and the defender of the bond, whose responsibility is to uphold the matrimonial bond, all have to be informed along the way about the different procedural elements as they are happening so that they have enough time to respond and the tribunal can properly set the calendar for the future. So typically, how long does a case take? Let's say a Catholic uh, wants to marry a non-Catholic who's been married before. Roughly speaking, how long would it take before you could uh, give the go-ahead for that to happen? Uh, Taylor, I'm smiling because that uh, question is um, very typically asked of us, and we very typically answer 
we don't give out any deadlines or datelines because each case is unique. And what delays uh, most cases is that the petitioner is unable to locate the respondent. And so we have to have contact information for the respondent who at least has to know that there is a tribunal investigating their marriage. Uh, they may choose not to participate, and therefore they are declared absent. The other thing, both for petitioners and respondents, is that they are asking witnesses to explain what they know, to give testimony about this marriage that's under examination. Uh, sadly, we encounter anti-Catholic prejudice, and so people refuse to respond. Other people put it aside. The questionnaire itself is very extensive. Sometimes people find it invasive and offensive, and so they put it off for that reason. But the tribunal's responsibility is much like that of a doctor. We have to ask all of the questions that pertain to marriage because we are trying to decide if those elements necessary to place an act of marital consent were in fact placed at the time the act of marital consent was made by both persons. And so uh, it uh, in, involves a lot of detective work. Uh, it it uh, involves clarification on the part of the petitioner or the respondent and the witnesses. So that's typically why cases are held up. The petitioner is asking us to examine a, a, an act of marital consent which was placed between him or her and their former spouse. So the first thing that the tribunal is charged with doing is, if possible, reconciling the couple. And if that is not possible, then we have to wait until the civil divorce is finalized. So we're actually looking at a couple who are civilly divorced and then are seeking from the Catholic Church an annulment. The petitioner is the person who is asking for the annulment. The respondent is the person who is answering that petition. It can happen that both the petitioner and the respondent believe that their marriage is in fact null. But it is the petitioner who initiated the process for an annulment. And that helps us keep it straight because there's lots of names frequently involved with this. And we use the generic terms petitioner and respondent so that we know who we are talking about in a particular case. Understood. And divorce is a big problem throughout our society and in the church. Uh, we've been hearing for decades that uh, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Is that true? Uh, as far as I know, when you said all marriages you know, half end in divorce, I don't personally have that statistic in front of me, but I do have this one and that is among church-going Catholics, that is Catholics who attend Mass every Sunday, it is one or two divorces out of 100. 
So the greater the practice of the faith is for a couple, the greater the likelihood is that they will continue to be married to one another until the death of one of the spouses. Well, that's encouraging. So uh, in those cases where you uh, receive applications for annulment, is that the right word? Petitions for annulment? Mm -hmm. Um, Can you go over the grounds? What are the grounds for an annulment? Well, actually, canon law itself sets out what the grounds for an annulment are. They they fall into two areas. One is called specific diriment impediments. And those are elements that immediately invalidate a marriage. Uh, For example, I was having a conversation last night with a canon lawyer and uh, mentioned to him one of these impediments called conjugicide. And he has taught canon law for many years and has kept a list of movies in which spouses murder the the other spouse in the hope of marrying someone else. And if that happens, that's an invalidating uh, act of marital consent. So there's a list of those, but the ones that we typically deal with are under the heading of matrimonial consent. And they basically fall into two groups. The first group is capacity. So did the person have the capacity to give consent? What would be examples? Someone who doesn't have the use of reason, um, either because of an accident or because of birth or other situations. But each case needs to be looked at individually. The other one, you might say, has to do with uh, simulation, and that is basically perjury. Somebody said, I do, accepting children, fidelity, and indissolubility, but in fact have reserved one or the other of those goods to themselves. There are other things because marriage, for example, is a contract, and any contract that is entered into because of force or fear is invalidating. So there are other grounds, for example, error, uh, which of the person or error principally and directly intended or error that determines the will, but these are all kinds of shades, um, grounds that are rarely used. I mean, they can be used, but generally the grounds for marriage fall into two groups, typically capacity or simulation. Hmm. Wow. That's deep, Father. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, um, I don't know. Someone who's uh, wondering about these things, how do they go about figuring out if, if they apply to them? Well, actually, what we do is after we have received the preliminary information form, we send them something called the petitioner's packet. And in there, we explain in general what an annulment is. But we also supply a questionnaire. But this is a questionnaire for a narrative. We're asking you to tell us the story of your marriage. And then after we receive that narrative... It is the responsibility of the judicial vicar, of which I am, for the, Archdi- for the archdiocese, for the military services, 
to read through that narrative and based on the story that the petitioner has told us, we ask ourselves, is there a canonical ground or grounds, there could be many more than just one, on which to base the doubt of validity that this uh, petitioner has put forth. It is important to remember that marriage enjoys the favor of the law and that a marriage is presumed to be valid until the facts prove otherwise. So we are helping the petitioner to tell his or her story. Some people are able to do it very well, and we receive almost uh, novellas in the explanation. Other people find it difficult to express themselves or what was going on inside, and we have to spend a little more time drawing them out, which we are more than happy to do. So once that is achieved, then the uh, formulation of the doubt is set and the parties, that is the petitioner and the respondent, are cited to trial. And it is a real trial because we are, in the end, making a judgment based on moral certainty. What is moral certainty? It means that given the facts presented, this group of of judges, typically three, who have a background in canon law and pastoral experience, look at this and they say one or more elements necessary to place the act of marital consent was missing, and therefore that act of marital consent is declared null, which means that it didn't take place because one of the elements was missing. So, Go ahead. So each and every uh, annulment case is adjudicated by three judges, not just you. Well, typically, they the the preference of the law is that it they be presented to a tribunal of three judges, and however, the law does allow in certain cases for a sole judge to make a decision. The reason you would have three judges is that you have a firmer opinion, a, you know, a greater sense of moral certainty that this marriage is in fact null. Your work must be depressing at times. Uh, no, actually, I find that it is quite invigorating. I have to admit that sometimes when I read people's stories and you do encounter a great deal of emotional pain, you can't help but be sympathetic to it. But if I am to do my job, I can't be overwhelmed by some of the events that I read about in these particular stories, which are sad. I Yes, uh, there are stories of sexual and physical abuse, domestic violence, addictions of various kinds. Um, but there's, more importantly, uh, elements of healing because people have realized that they want to get their life together. Um, frequently, over half of our petitioners are not Catholics who are desiring to join the church and need to get their um, marriage their, or their, their marital status clarified. Um, or they are married to Catholics and they would like at least their Catholic spouse to be able to return to the practice of the sacraments. So um, 
I find it as a priest to be very life-giving that we can help these people achieve a kind of peace and healing in their life um, over what is, for many people, a very traumatic situation. And I guess the hopeful thing is, as you pointed out, folks who are practicing Catholics, who are practicing their faith, exercising their faith, the likelihood of uh, divorce is very small. Typically, that is the case. I mean, not always, but uh, typically it is the case. And so anyone out there uh, and the military, uh, with all the pressures that come to bear on that lifestyle, moving around, a lot of uh, transience, mobility, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress, moral injury, all these pressures, I'm sure, come to bear on on any marriage, but particularly one that's already under stress. Uh, that could be the, the thing that tips it over the edge, I suppose. And um, so I'm sure we have some folks out there that are especially interested in this. What what can they do if, if they um, are considering an element, they want to submit a petition for an element? Uh, how do they go about doing that here at the AMS? Well, the simplest way is to go to our website, www.millarch.org, click on forms, then click on tribunal. And typically most people have a formal case and they fill out the preliminary information form the form does ask for a signature from a priest chaplain. However, our priest chaplains are few and far between, so that's not always possible. And the hopes that um, they are able to explain to the petitioner what it is exactly that is happening, and you might say the procedures that um, are required along the way before a final decision is made by the judges. They can also contact us uh, via the email, which is our preferred way of receiving information, and that is tribunal at millarch.org. I do take uh, telephone calls, and so if they wish to call the Archdiocese for the military services, the call can be directed to the tribunal, and I'm happy to answer questions um, in regard to that. One of the things that I would urge your listeners to do is to follow through um, with a petition because until they petition, they can never be really sure what their marital status is within the church. And some people will contact us initially and will take years after they have received their preliminary information form or their petitioner's packet in responding to us, um, I've taken it upon myself to contact people who have sent us preliminary information forms and ask why we haven't heard from them. Typically, they have been PCS'd or they're in a combat zone or a parent died or they had the birth of a child and they're interested in doing it, but they find it difficult to do so. And one of the difficulties is reliving this very traumatic, perhaps emotionally painful event in their life and coming to grips with who they are as a person and why they did what they did. But in the end, ultimately, I think it does bring peace and healing. 
I suppose it would be a, a difficult exercise under the best of circumstances. Yes, I think so. Father Christopher Armstrong, JCD, that is, uh, what does JCD stand for? Juris Canonici Doctor. So, ah, okay. It, Latin, the Latin. Exactly. <laughs> canon lawyer. In, in English, that's a canon lawyer. Uh, the judicial vicar here, a judicial vicar here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services. Thank you so much for talking to me. You're welcome. Thank you.